This is Alan Johnson, pastor of Old Peachtree Presbyterian Church in Duluth, Georgia. The Bible is God's Word. It describes itself as living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Therefore, any encounter with the Bible is a momentous thing because it never leaves us unchanged. My prayer for you as you hear this message is that the Holy Spirit will use it in your life to inform your mind, to feed your soul, and to help you grow in your faith in Christ. Now, if you'll take your your Bible and turn with me to Psalm 119, be in the Psalms again this evening as we were this morning. However, looking at Psalm 119, uh, not the entirety of it, you may well know that if you consider the Psalms as chapters, uh, that it would be the longest chapter in the Bible. I want us to look uh, just at three verses from Psalm 119. First of all, 119, verse 67. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. Verse 71. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. And then again, verse 75. I know, O Lord, that your rules are righteous, and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. Let's pray. Our Father, we give you thanks for your word and these verses that uh, we have just read. Thank you that this is your word, that it is God-breathed, that it is reliable, it is true, it is truth. And so, Father, as we study your word this evening, we pray for the help of your Holy Spirit and pray that you would guide us into a deeper understanding of your truth. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Truth be told, most of us want sanctification, but the reality is we want comfort more. I know I do. Now, we can certainly be sanctified when we are comfortable. I hope that happens here. We're sitting in an air-conditioned room in nice soft seats. Uh, in a pleasant place. So I hope some sanctification takes place in a comfortable environment in the, in the study of God's Word. However, you and I both know that sanctification is accelerated when it is put into the crucible of affliction. It seems like it's in times of affliction that we really learn the most, that we really grow the most. And while we do want to be sanctified, most of the time, if we're honest, we'd say we'd really rather be comfortable. To pray for God to sanctify you is a dangerous prayer, much like praying for God to make you humble. Uh, Praying for sanctification can uh, be a dangerous prayer. And in these three verses in Psalm 119... Uh, they speak about the, the blessings, the, the, even the benefits of affliction, of suffering. 
Now, in our minds, benefit and affliction are two words that do not go together. But in the scriptures, they do. And so we're going to look at these three verses tonight to see what we can learn from them about what benefits uh, affliction can offer us, what blessings may come to us in the reality of suffering. Now, Psalm 119, as we said, is, is very long. Uh, a couple of other interesting things you should know about it. Uh, if you read it, it doesn't take you very long to realize that Psalm 119 is about God's word. And it uses a lot of different terms to describe God's word, his precepts, his statutes, his word, his truth, all of them just different ways of referring to God's word. I think, uh, I think there are three verses in Psalm 119 that do not refer one way or another to God's word. Uh, but pretty much every verse, with the exception of a, a very small number, Refer to God's word. Another thing that you notice if you read Psalm 119 is it's got these strange words interspaced throughout it. Aleph, then you come to the end of verse 16, uh, or rather verse 9, you come to Beth, come to 17, you've got Gimel. What are those? Well, there's a great deal of artistry in, uh, in Psalm 119 in Hebrew. In fact, even if you can't read Hebrew, but you see it in Hebrew, it's striking visually uh, to look at it. Because each uh, section begins, uh, and each verse in that section begins with the next letter of the Hebrew alphabet. The first letter is Aleph. Uh, Aleph is the first letter, like Alpha in Greek, in our alphabet. But Aleph would be equivalent to our letter A, first letter of the alphabet. And if you look at section Aleph, verses 1 through 8, each line in it, each verse begins with the letter Aleph, equivalent of our letter A. And then you come to the next section, verses 9 through 16, Beth or Bet. Uh, each verse in that section begins with the letter Bet or B. And so even if you don't read Hebrew, you can see how they line up. And it is a, a striking uh, image, uh, much like Psalm 145, which is also an acrostic uh, psalm. Although in that, in that psalm, every, each verse begins with the next letter of the alphabet. Try writing a poem where each line begins with the next letter of the alphabet, A, then B, then C. Those would be pretty easy. It's when you get to Q or Z, you know, that you're really put to the test. But that's Psalm 119. Tremendous artistry has gone into the structure of this psalm that just doesn't quite carry over into English, but you get the idea. Well, we'll look at these three verses and what they have to teach us about affliction. In the first place, verse 67, the first benefit that we see here, the first blessing that comes to us, affliction promotes obedience. Affliction promotes obedience. Verse 67, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. Why? Well, you think of any number of reasons, any, any number of things that might lead someone to sin, but if you want to go back to a significant root cause, you'd have to say, well, pride. Uh, an, an inflated sense of who I am and my own importance. 
that leads me to go astray. Now, he doesn't use the word sin, although it's implied. He uses the word to go astray, which means he knows the standard. To stray from something means you know where you should be and you have wandered off. He's not talking, I think, about sinning in ignorance. He's saying that he departed knowingly from what was true. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. It may be pride. Uh, it may be no sense, really, of the sinfulness of sin, the damaging effects of sin. Or conversely, it may be that because uh, before he was afflicted, he had no real sense of the value of godliness or even any real conviction about godliness. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. Now, notice the, the change. Now, what's not said, but imply now that I have experienced affliction, I keep your word. Part of the reason for that is affliction may be God's chastening, God's discipline, which is why we discipline our own children. It is the attempt to impress upon them the sinfulness of sin and to impress upon them the benefits, the, the value of godliness. Of course, several places in Scripture speak to this. Uh, one reference you might want to turn to Jeremiah 31. Jeremiah 31, verses 18 and 19. The Lord says, I have heard Ephraim grieving. This is what the Lord heard from Ephraim. I have heard Ephraim grieving. You have disciplined me, and I was disciplined. Like an untrained calf. Bring me back, that I may be restored. For you are the Lord my God. For after I had turned away, I relented. And after I was instructed, I slapped my thigh. Apparently, an expression of grief. I was ashamed and I was confounded because I bore the disgrace of my youth. So there from the Old Testament, and uh, you're familiar, I think, with the, the, the section in Hebrews, uh, Hebrews 12, that speaks of God's disciplining us. It's not pleasant, it's painful, but it produces uh, the peaceable fruit of righteousness in those who have been trained by it. So affliction may be God's instrument of chastening bringing discipline into our lives. We want to be careful. It's not that every time something painful or difficult happens to us that God is doing something to us. Uh, we don't want to say that, although he ultimately is, yes. But we don't want to simply to ask every time something bad or painful happens, you know, what have I done, how have I messed up, that God is, is chastening me. Uh, but it is true that sometimes God may bring discipline into our lives in the form of affliction. Certainly in this fallen world, we'll experience it. So affliction chastens us. It causes us to examine our lives, to repent of sin. But affliction also humbles us. Part of the reason in going astray was simply pride. Uh, then affliction has the salutary benefit of humbling us, of producing humility. If you, if you look at the life of someone who has suffered, 
There usually is a, a quality of humility there. It either makes them angry and bitter. In other words, it merely increases their pride. Or, by God's grace, it produces uh, a humility, a gentleness in dealing with others that's, that's very attractive. Um, I can think of, uh, I think I may have mentioned it too before, a woman in our church in South Carolina now with the Lord, who was a very dear friend to me and a great encouragement to me uh, when I was there, a very, very godly lady, uh, despite the fact that she would never acknowledge that. Uh, she nevertheless was someone who knew the Lord well and walked closely with him and whose counsel I, uh, I, I benefited from and valued greatly. And I saw in her life a deep humility, a humility that I would love to have in my own life. However, in her life, part of that humility was forged uh, at the loss of, a, of one of their sons at the age of 17 in a car accident. Like, well, I would like to be characterized by humility, uh, but sometimes that kind of humility uh, that has such an impact on others comes at a very dear cost. It is not obtained easily uh, or cheaply. Affliction, though, has a way of humbling us. It, it smooths off the rough edges. It tends to make us more patient with others and certainly more compassionate toward others in their weakness and their struggle, struggles and their failures. So affliction chastens us, disciplines us. Affliction humbles us. And both of these tend to then produce obedience in our lives. It corrects our sense of what's important in this world when we suffer. It is striking when we recently studied the book of Hebrews. Uh, in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8, we read of Christ, of Jesus. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. If that's true of Jesus, to learn obedience through what he suffered, how much more is it true of you and of me with a fallen nature, a sinful track record, to learn obedience through affliction? Affliction has a way, and those in whom God's grace is at work, affliction has a way of promoting obedience. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I keep your word. But there's a second blessing, second benefit in uh, affliction. We find it in verse 71. It's good for me that I was afflicted that I might learn your statutes. Affliction promotes not only obedience, but it also promotes knowledge. It is good for me that I was afflicted. Now, that in and of itself is a strange statement. It is good for me. Yeah, we would not claim that suffering, that sin, that its effects in this world, the effect of the fall on us is in, a, in, a, a, in and of itself a good thing. Uh, misery, suffering, affliction is not in and of itself a good thing. It's a result of fallenness. It's a result of sin. It's a result of rebellion, either our own and its consequences, or the sins of others that affect us, that hurt us, or simply the effect of the fallen nature of this world where all kinds of things can happen that cause uh, pain and, and misery. Um, it is good for me that I was afflicted. This is a hindsight statement. 
it is good that I was afflicted. An example that comes to my mind, of course, is that, that magnificent statement that Joseph makes uh, toward the end of Genesis, Genesis 50, after that whole experience of his brother's uh, envy and hatred, motivating them to sell him into slavery, his experience in Egypt and going through all of that and rising to prominence of power in Egypt and uh, preparing for the famine. Of course, his brothers uh, in Canaan and his father Jacob, and they were all spared through that provision that the Lord saw to through Joseph in, in Egypt. And his brothers, after their father dies, are afraid, afraid that now that their father's gone, Joseph is going to get retribution on them for what they did. And, of course, Joseph has matured and grown tremendously through that affliction and through that that time. And he makes that statement to his brothers in their fear, in their concern. He simply says to them, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives, including his brother's own lives, who through their very sin were spared. It was good, it is good for me that I was afflicted. That's a hindsight kind of thing. You may be in the middle of it and have no idea what kind of good could ever come out of this, except maybe in these general Terms. Affliction does promote knowledge because look at how it was good. It, was, it is good for me that I was afflicted. You know, probably not anything he would want to experience again, but that it happened was good. That I might learn your statutes. Now, what's the connection? Why does his being afflicted cause him to learn the Lord's statutes? Well, perhaps because in affliction he is driven to God's word to try to understand what's happening. What on earth is going on here? What is happening to me? Of course, that's a great place to look. Reminded of Psalm 73, where Asaph struggles over the prosperity and health and well-being of the wicked while the righteous suffer. And it's so troublesome to him that he is on the verge of blasphemy. He's on the verge of apostasy. And he says, if I had said what I was thinking, I would have scandalized God's people. But this was such a struggle to me. This was such an agonizing thing to me. Until I came into the sanctuary of God, and then I understood their end. Well, how do you come into the sanctuary of God? Well, you can come into a place of of worship, but the point is, he began to see things from God's point of view. He began to get the big picture. Where, where do we gain God's point of view? Where do we get the, get the the big picture? We get it in Scripture. We get it from God's Word. And so when he says, it is good for me, I was afflicted, I, don't, I might learn your statutes. It could be in his affliction he was driven to God's Word. Maybe something he grew up with, took for granted. You know, knew. He'd gone to Sabbath school, so he, he knew, you know, the Bible stories. But boy, when suffering hits, when hard times came, uh, he no longer took the word of God for granted. It became his life. It became his anchor. It became his light in the darkness. But also driven to God's word, not just to understand, but driven to God's word for comfort. Just to go and, and, and hear the voice of our father, to be reminded of who he is, to be reminded that he's good. 
You know, Psalm 23 says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. That ever struck you as odd? Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The rod and the staff were symbols of leadership, symbols of correction. You wouldn't think of those as being comforting. But that's exactly what he says. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Well, how does, how does the good shepherd guide his sheep? What is his rod? What is his staff for us today? His word. It's God's word that guides us. It's God's word that corrects us. It's God's word by which he wields his authority over us and teaches us his ways. So affliction was good because he learned God's statutes. He was driven to God's word to understand the Lord and maybe to understand himself. He's driven to God's word for comfort. And it's true. When our hearts hurt, when we go to God's word and just read the Psalms, read familiar passages, they take on a new life, a new uh, potency for us, maybe that they didn't have before. But notice, we've been emphasizing the word statutes, the laws, the word, that I might learn your statutes. But we can also look at this in terms of that word learn, that I might learn your statutes. It's very easy to read God's word, talk about God's word. It's very easy uh, to apply God's word, especially to others. But sometimes it takes affliction, sometimes it takes suffering before we really begin to learn God's word, not as an intellectual notion, but as an existential reality. Because it's sometimes when we feel like we're driven right to the edge of the cliff, when we don't know what's going to happen next, or when we're heartbroken, grief-stricken, that we begin to experience all of those truths that we learned about God or read about God in his word. And we find out the, the not just the intellectual truth of them, but the ex- existential reality of them. And often that happens only in suffering, only where we really are driven to an end of ourselves and our resources and our abilities, where we can do nothing to fix things and are cast on the Lord. So we learn God's statutes in a new way, in a living way, uh, in a life way, and not simply as an idea or theological thought that we can respond uh, to if asked. We can give the right answer. But we've learned, we've learned his statutes in that way. So affliction promotes obedience, affliction promotes knowledge, but affliction also, along the same lines, promotes trust. Look at verse 75. I know, O Lord, that your rules are righteous, and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. Now, speaking of theological ideas, it is worth noting here that the psalmist does not say, well, you know, God didn't want this for me. Notice what he says, in faithfulness, you have afflicted me. 
He recognizes it's the hand of God, that God is in this, whatever it was, that God is in this affliction. The source of our afflictions, one way or another, ultimately becomes God. Now, can Satan afflict us? Absolutely. But remember Job, Satan is on a leash and God holds the other end. God is sovereign. Satan is not sovereign. And for whatever his reasons, we can trace it back to the source of afflictions is God. Is the author of sin? Absolutely not. Does God make me sin? No. But notice what he says. In faithfulness, you have afflicted me. But notice he says, in faithfulness, you have afflicted me. What does that mean? How is faithfulness and God afflicting this writer or afflicting us? How are those connected? Well, several ways, if you think about it. God's purposes in afflicting us are not malicious. God is not seeking your destruction. He's not seeking your undoing. But His purposes are good. His purpose is to refine our gold, to consume the dross, the impurities, our ignorance of His Word, our lack of growth in grace, our materialism, our selfishness, our gossiping tongues, whatever it might be. God can use in faithfulness afflictions that He brings to sanctify us. But we also have the assurance in His faithfulness that He will not test us beyond what we can bear. You know the the verse in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, the temptation has seized you, right? Except what is common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. Well, that word tempted could also have the sense of being tested. And temptation is a kind of testing, isn't it? That God will not let you be tempted, or we could say he would not let you be tested beyond what you can bear. Paul found that out, the apostle, in in an existential way in 2 Corinthians, where he has his thorn in the flesh. And he pleads with God three times, he says, whether that's three prayers or three seasons of his life where he really prayed for this to be removed, we don't know. But he says three times, I asked the Lord, I begged the Lord to remove it. And the Lord said, no, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. So it was in faithfulness that the Lord afflicted the apostle Paul so that God's power would be seen in his weakness. Was God out to destroy his servant? No, absolutely not. His purpose was to demonstrate his strength in Paul's weakness and how he did. Boy, did he ever. So he will not test us beyond what we can bear. It's part of his faithfulness. Also part of his faithfulness is that he will sustain us in the trial. He will uphold us. He will allow us to stand just as he did Paul. And so he says, I know, O Lord, that your rules are righteous. And that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. So that you learn that God's word is good, that God's ways are good. And so we see in affliction our Lord's faithfulness to his own character. We see his faithfulness to us, his people, and we learn to trust him. That God is faithful in our afflictions. That he is, put it in the words here, Uh, In faithfulness, he afflicts us. He's not ceased to be God. He's not departed. He's not abandoned us. He's being faithful to us. In faithfulness, you have afflicted me. And so we learn to trust him. We may not know what he's doing, especially at the time. We may never know, but we may not know at the time what he is doing. 
but it is enough for us that he knows. And so we come to trust him more and more. Now, we've been talking about these experiences as afflictions because that is what they are. But another word that we often use, of course, is trials. We call them trials because they try us. They test us. In Isaiah 48, verse 10, the Lord says, Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. We are sustained when we suffer. We're sustained in trials. When we remember that the Lord is good and he has his good purposes in those trials. And we can also be sustained when we remember that affliction does carry with it certain blessings, certain benefits that we should look for and cultivate. Benefits that could come perhaps in no other way that the author of Psalm 119 understood. Because he understood this, and we need to as well, that affliction promotes obedience, knowledge, trust. Let's pray. Father, it is true, we would rather be comfortable than sanctified. But Father, we pray that you would sanctify us. We pray that you would do whatever you deem necessary to form Christ in us, to make us holy, to make us humble. Father, we recognize that affliction has its fruits, good fruit, as your grace is at work in us. Lord, that we would not become bitter or angry, but that we would submit and that we would grow and learn by it. Father, we, we do not want the pain of affliction. We really don't. But Father, we do want the fruit of your Spirit in our lives. And if that fruit may come by no other way, then we pray for that affliction and we pray for grace to bear up under it. And so bring you glory and so be a blessing to others. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.